Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. I am back with my co-host, Ethan. What's up? And this is Match Week 29. Some interesting fixtures this week as well, but the fixtures in the Premier League this week were hardly the headline somehow. Another set of managerial exoduses, if that's a plural of exodus, <laughs> it might be exodi, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, exoduses, um, I think so. <laughs> it's a mouthful, but it might be it. Either way, we had not one to bring the last the two-week total up to three, but two to bring the two-week total up to four. We had Brendan Rodgers, and of course, Graham Potter gets the boot as well from Chelsea Football Club after just 209 days in charge. Let's start off with Brendan Rodgers first, because that one that one was on the simmer for, for quite a bit. And uh, I, I'm not entirely sure which one makes less sense, to be honest, because they both make equal amount of sense. But they at this point in the season, it just seems like, especially with the Brendan Rodgers one. So let's isolate the Brendan Rodgers one. Like, they, he has, this team has been average for the whole season. And now they're like slightly less than average, and they're just like, okay, that's enough. Like, I, they they will survive. <laughs> in all likelihood, they would have survived relegation with Brendan Rodgers in charge. And if you believe in him for four years, and not only four years, but four years plus this like, you know, huge rough patch that they've had this season, I I don't understand why you don't stick with him and if you finish out the season, maybe get somebody over the summer. Unless there was like a manager that just became available that they really liked, it, I don't know. Personally, I don't totally disagree with this sacking. I think that Brendan Rodgers obviously is really, really underperformed this season, and I don't think Leicester can any longer say that they're not in a relegation battle. Are they likely to go down? Not necessarily, but. You know, there are some teams like Everton and Bournemouth who are really starting to perform and teams who a couple of weeks ago you'd be saying, oh, yeah, I mean, Leicester will easily finish above them. But there are really no guarantees anymore. And with 10 games left in the season, I don't necessarily blame Leicester for admitting that they're in a relegation battle and wanting to just ensure their Premier League survival. It's I think it's clear with Brendan Rodgers having the entirety of the season and having built this Leicester squad himself, you know, used his own tactics that his style is just worn off for whatever reason. It happens to managers that it's just Mm. not working. If he was just underperforming, like you, like you mentioned, like he's sitting in, you know, 12th, 11th, but you know, still firmly above the relegation zone, then maybe give him the benefit of the doubt, give him some more time, maybe say it's a down year. But I don't know if that's necessarily a luxury Lester have anymore. So maybe they could have given him an extra couple games, try to turn this thing around. But I don't necessarily disagree with it. When you put it like that, I guess it makes sense. I just I don't think that at this point, like he's such a storied manager and he's done so many great things with Lester. I I don't. I think they could have gotten, uh, and maybe their goal isn't to get away with it, but they definitely could have got away with it just leaving it until the end of the season, seeing what pool of managers were available to replace him towards the end of the season. Now they're rocking probably an interim um, for the next couple months. God knows what kind of wild card that is for them. 
Um, but maybe that's the spark that they needed. Uh, clearly, they have not performed this season under Brendan Rodgers. Very few performances to to <clears throat> write home about. So, yeah, uh, maybe maybe that's all they needed. Maybe they just needed a new voice. Only time will tell. But we move on to one that is sure to spark some debate. Graham Potter dismissed from Chelsea Football Club. This one, this one is confusing for me. And I, I've kind of like said on multiple occasions, like why I don't think Graham Potter will be sacked this season. It just like, it can't get worse. Like this is the bottom. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like if you're usually you fire a manager because you're like, oh God, he is taking us to a place we don't want to be this season. He's already at that place and he's been at that yeah. place for a while. Like if you were going to fire him, you would have fired him when you got him, when he got you to that place eight, 10 weeks ago. Now it's like, uh, it just doesn't make sense. Like it, the Villa game, that was the one. And that's, to be honest, they didn't play that shitty in that. Of all the shitty performances Chelsea have had, and on, on a different day, they probably at least get a point, probably get the win on that. I don't know if you watched that game, but I watched most of that game. They, they had more than enough chances to seal that. Absolutely, and the the first goal, the Ollie Watkins goal, was a player mishap. That's not a tactical thing. That's Cucurella being a dumbass. And the second one was a John McGinn screamer. Yeah. <laughs> like they scored on very. They have it was like two goal, two point two xg to 0.7 xg in favor of Chelsea. Like that 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 was not one of the worst performances. Like he's if you're gonna fire <laughs> Graham Potter, there were way way more underwhelming performances than that. Not only that, but like the Mudrick shot was like horrible. Yeah. Like any mm-hmm. any U15 Academy player in the Chelsea system puts that away ten times out of like that is that is a tough <laughs> attempt yeah. at goal. But like I'm not trying to break down the game here. Clearly there's a bigger picture, but like I is Grandpa <laughs> the right manager for Chelsea? No. Should Grandpa be fired? Yes. But not right now. Like if you were gonna if you're gonna stick with him, you stick with him until the summer. He's you're getting a Kunku over the summer, who might be your, your permanent striker. Like another couple of weeks, you still you're still in the freaking Champions yeah. League. Like shit, like crazy shit, crazier shit has happened than like I don't know. Like you lock down Real Madrid, who are on terrible form right now, and get through to the the semifinals. Like crazier shit has happened than that. It just like all it it just screams we don't know what we're doing. And the whole their whole window, I said it before, like a month and a half ago, that their January transfer window screams we don't know what we're doing. And this kind of solidifies that, like, t- this Todd Bowley era, they're still figuring shit out on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, everything you've already said, I've already said, we've already said on this podcast before, just that we never expected Grandpa to be fired just because there wasn't much to lose and there really wasn't much to gain. So you might as well just yeah. trust the process, at least until the end of the season when, you know, you could yeah. hire a new manager and then, you know implement his own tactics has that time over the summer but yeah this it's just really really surprising you'd think with the amount of money bully invested in this squad for potter that he would be given more time but clearly like you said there just really isn't a plan here by players by managers hope they fit together it, yeah. it's become very clear that this is just uh you know trigger happy owner who as soon as things aren't working out just moves on to the next and long term yeah. i don't know if that's gonna work maybe it does i mean 
it's worked with Chelsea before. Roman Abramovich wasn't all that different, but yeah. But this certainly seems like a new extreme for Chelsea. Yeah, it, I, I, it's. I mean, only time will tell. Again, whether this is a good decision. Clearly, they have the talent to. They have the talent right now to win the Premier League. It's just right now <laughs> they are a bunch of individuals and they are nowhere near a unit. Like they were like Chelsea when when Arsenal were at the bottom of their their project the when Arteta came in and did poorly they had a third to a half of the talent that Chelsea currently have on their roster and they were able to turn it around if Chelsea get a manager that's willing to get these young players to play as a unit instead of these like this like crazy individual like and you can see it in the football too like again like Graham Potter deserves to be fired. But like it's just crazy that they that this was the time they chose to to do it. Like I don't know. And if they get a manager that's able to bring everybody together and have them play as a unit, we could see them kind of put together some really nice performances towards the end of this year. Maybe push a Champions League semifinal. Probably nothing past that. They're probably not getting past Bayern or, or City. But um, if they finish strong with a interim manager, maybe Nagelsmann. Um, and roll that into next season, we could see an easy, comfortable top four finish for Chelsea next year with a title push. Yeah, if all goes according to to plan for this talent, like that is that is undeniable. However, they are a long way chemistry wise and synergy wise from even touching that mm-hmm. level. So they kind of need uh, a little bit of a potion, a miracle potion, right now. But anything is possible. And with that, we will get into our official Match Week 29 coverage, starting off with the Worst Team Wins update. If you are unfamiliar with the Worst Team Wins competition, it is a competition, season-long competition between me and Ethan, where before the season, we drafted kind of fantasy style in in FPL uh, player value terms, two teams, snake draft style, worth 80 million pounds each, Except instead of trying to get the most points throughout the season, you try to get the least points throughout the season. And whichever person had the least amount of points at the end of the season wins. This week was kind of a week that we wanted to group in with next week. So we'll do a two-week update next week. But Erling Holland, who is on my team, is currently out injured. So that could bode well for me. Uh, I'm not sure how many of Ethan's... I know, I know Saka didn't get a goal. Diaz is back yet. Yeah. Well, no, I got, we got rid but, of Diaz. Um, <laughs> Oh, Diaz, yeah. right. Let's yeah. didn't score this week, so hopefully he can mm-hmm. bag one against Liverpool. Um, but yeah, two-week update next week. Hopefully I'll have a big, big point gap to, to, to show for you guys because I need to make this thing interesting. Ten weeks to go. I need to make it interesting. And with that, we will get into our Match Week 29 Match Week coverage, starting off with a match that in years past has been an absolute headliner due to the circumstances. This year, a little bit of edge taken off of it, but still that rivalry remains. Manchester City 4, Liverpool 1, starting off in the 17th minute. The City defense loses Diogo Jota in over the top on a counterattack, but does well to recover. Eventually the ball sitting, like almost sitting dead for Mo Salah from 15 yards, who smashes it home, makes no mistake. And that's one nothing well against the run of play for the first 20 minutes of this game. Um, but City would respond quickly in the 27th minute. Mares cutting the ball onto his left and finding Gundawan 25 yards from goal. 
takes a good touch, spins around, plays Grealish on the left side, slips the ball across for an unmarked Alvarez, 1-1. Just after halftime, and just after halftime, in the 46th minute, a beautiful Alvarez diagonal ball finds Mares, who catches the Liverpool defense sleeping. De Bruyne does well to sprint into the box and receive a beautifully weighted Mares cross for 2-1. In the 53rd, a well-worked City spell of possession leads to an Alvarez shot that pins, pinballs around the box, slides to Gundogan eight yards from goal, takes a good touch, and manages to just get enough torque and umph to slot it past Allison's right side into the side netting. 3-1, comfortable lead for City at this point. Pressure remains. No, not not a ton of of rebound here from from Liverpool, and that eventually, after the a classic you know City spell of possession among the defense in the midfield, Liverpool drawn out, forced to press. Um, the balls quickly work to Grealish on the left. De Bruyne sp- sprints past him into the left corner, gets the ball played from from Grealish, then De Bruyne cuts it back to Grealish, who's unmarked, who pokes it by Allison for four one, and that's the way. It would end at the Etihad. All three points to City. This is a game that Arsenal fans were hoping that Liverpool could maybe <clears throat> take the most of. This you know recent rivalry in recent years has caused a little bit of mayhem, but not on the day. It was not to be. No Holland, no problem for City. And I, I'd want to say before you uh, get into your analysis that there's a lot of people that think that under the surface, City play better without Erling Holland in the team because they're just much more fluid. And Holland mm-hmm. is not great at buildup. He gets 15, 20 touches a game, like, but he scores a three. Yeah. Like that's kind of, it, it changes your entire attacking mentality when you have him on the, the team. Both mentalities, whether you have him in the team or not in the team, are very effective, mm-hmm. obviously, but it looks <clears throat> so much more beautiful. And this game was absolutely never in doubt like for the first 15 minutes of this game before Liverpool got their goal I I was like okay well Liverpool did not show up today and even when Liverpool got their goal I'm like okay like they're gonna need probably two and a miracle to to take points off City and lo and behold it was a convincing 4-1 win for City yeah like you said it's just a very different Man City team without Holland in there and obviously with Holland it's not a worse City team necessarily but with Alvarez, you can just tell he's a bit more involved in the build-up play. His movement is a bit, a little bit more dynamic. Holland is making more vertical runs, which stretches the defense. Again, effective in its own way, but Alvarez is a bit more, you know, involved horizontally, just moving from you know left to right across the pitch and helping out in the build-up. So City obviously looked very, very fluid in attack and. The Liverpool defense was constantly being stretched. And you mentioned from start to finish, even when Liverpool went up, City were still the better team in the game. It was a one-off long ball off an offside trap that had worked for most of the game, but Liverpool had just broken Mm -hmm. that one time, took advantage. Other than that, Liverpool didn't get in too many. Other times didn't have that many great looks. And I just quickly want to give a shout-out to Liverpool fans because I, I woke up at 7.30 for this game only game this season that I've really had to sit down and truly support Liverpool. And I barely made it to full time. I didn't really make it to full time. (laughs) And the fact that you guys have been doing it all season, I mean, (laughs) I don't know how you do it. It, 
credit credit to you guys. So yeah, that was that was a really that was a really tough watch. I there's a little bit of hope. I just maybe thought that Liverpool could not hang on for three points, but maybe just slow City down. But as soon as City got the equalizer, I knew that there was no way Liverpool were getting anything out of that game. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it was it was complete dominance. And it's I and you know, the <clears throat> I'll go back to my original preseason prediction where I'm like, Holland is going to mess up this typical city style of play. And he did. He has messed up this typical city city style of play. He has scored 28 goals in the league, so he's allowed to mess it up. Yeah. And they've scored an equal amount of goals as they have in years past, so he's allowed to mess it up. But you can overlay, you know, attacks from this game with Alvarez there and attacks with Holland, who sits up top and waits for his moment. And it's completely stark contrast. And in games when Holland has been there and they haven't been able to get the goal and they have dropped points, I I think if they didn't have Holland, it would have been much, much easier for them. Now, am I saying that Holland makes this team worse? No. But it does drastically change the way this team plays. And in some cases, that is not for the better. Now, there are some games where Alvarez it does not have that it factor to get the ball over the line that Holland does. So it goes both mm-hmm. ways. But to say that Holland, that they would not be in this position without Erling Holland is complete fallacy. Yeah, it's it's definitely debatable. I mean, I just, it's hard to, obviously, there's no way to truly see how good City would be this season without Holland. If you throw in Alvarez, you know, do the goals become more spread out for City or do the goals just, you know, decline for City? I mean, I've said a million times, everyone says, you know, Holland's only scoring these tap-ins. If it was so easy, you know, every City striker would have been scoring 30 goals for the past, you know, four or five seasons. So it's it's really hard to compare. But I think with whether they have Julian Alvarez or Erling Holland up front right now, they look like a formidable side. That in these last couple of games, obviously this was a dominant win over still a very good Liverpool team, although they've of course been so inconsistent this year. And then what they destroyed Burnley like five six nil in the yeah. FA Cup, and then before that Leipzig seven nil. Like this is a City team that right now looks like they're coming into their own at just the right time, which is usually the theme of City's title winning campaigns. So. I'd say it's scary hours for Arsenal because <laughs> there doesn't look like there's much room to slip up against the City team. Now, of course, City have <laughs> the trademark for City this season has been Holland scoring, you know, a hat trick and winning five nil, and then the next week going to you know a mid table side and dropping points. So you really never know. Yeah. But right now, this mm-hmm. is not a City team I want to play. Uh, it is the end of April, I believe, is when Arsenal gets City yeah. uh, at the Etihad. So maybe there's a little bit of time to cool down. But right now, definitely does not look great. Not going to be much room for error for Arsenal. Moving on to second game we're going to cover this match week. Newcastle United 2, 
Manchester United nil starting off in the 65th. It took to 65 to break the deadlock. Um, Newcastle probably had the better of the chances to the first 65 and the better of the play. They were the ones who were being the most direct, being the most creative. I don't say Max Modest, obviously very good in this game. Zach as well. Um, but then eventually in the 65th minute, Izak takes a really, really good touch off a deflected pass into him right around the top of the 18. Takes another good touch, slips in Girmarish, who stands the ball up for Alan St. Maxim on back post, whose header back across the box finds an unmarked Joe Willock for an easy tap-in header goal. That would break the deadlock. That would be one nothing to Newcastle. St. James roars in <laughs> appreciation for that one. And eventually, in the 88th, they would get their insurance. Trippier set piece from the right corner finds ahead of substitute Callum Wilson for two. And that would seal all three for Newcastle United. Clean sheet against United uh, against <clears throat> Manchester United at home. All three. A Newcastle team that's playing very, very well right now. I think that's three wins on the spin for them. Just this, this is the Newcastle team that we remember from earlier this season, certainly. Yeah, certainly Newcastle, of course, been very good, very consistent all season. But they haven't always been the most entertaining. Obviously, it depends upon the personnel they had out there. They've often played, mm-hmm. you know, really low scoring, cagey affairs. But this was just a really fun Newcastle game to watch because they were just going forward, guns blazing. Alan St. Maximum was a man possessed. I don't think... He has to be, obviously he's not one of the best players in the Premier League, but you have to believe he's one of the scariest players if I'm an opposition yeah. fullback. Dallow never got within a couple of yards of him. He's, yeah. he's just so unstoppable with his quick feet and his just turn of pace. I don't know how anybody stops seeing Maxima in that form. And I also want to talk about Alexander Isak because I feel like everyone's talking about St. Maxima after that game, and rightfully so. But Isak... His touch and hold-up play in this game was just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you talked about it on the uh, Willow goal, and Isak had you know key contribution in that one. But there was also uh, a Willow chance in the first half off a Newcastle counter where they play an over-the-top ball to Isak, and as he was holding off a defender, he just plucks the ball out of the sky inside his own half, drives through midfield, and plays the same maximum, and that eventually leads to a really good Willow chance. But just all around, Isak is just such a phenomenal striker. And he proved that today that even without his goal contributions, which he's had plenty of this season for Newcastle, that he's just a key member of this attack. And he really should be starting every game. Callum Wilson is a great striker too. Obviously got himself on the score sheet. But Isak just provides so much for this attack. And yeah, uh, obviously I'm really happy Arsenal got Jesus, but Arsenal were looking at Isak for a while. And mm-hmm. I think Arsenal would be just as good as they are now if they had gone Isak because he is a quality, yeah. quality striker. Yeah, he's he was really good in this game. Like really, really yeah. good in this game. Uh not only that, but he's been on good goal scoring form as well. Um but now we look at Man United who put in another lackluster performance and you know the loss of Casemiro obviously can be pinpointed a little bit for that because they he was he was part of the reason they went on such a great run of yeah. form. And then when they lose him, obviously their form drops off. It's clear that he is uh, that guy for, for, for United this year. Um, still two more games without him, the next two without him as well because of his, his suspension. 
they sit fifth now, two games at hand on Tottenham and fourth, um, but third, fourth, and fifth all on 50 points. I think Newcastle and United are on the same amount of games, and then Tottenham are two ahead. But right now, their two games at hand are two games that they're not going to have Casemiro. So what do we think about their chances at top four? Yeah, I think it's obviously we had the conversation about Leicester where, yes, they're in a relegation zone, but they're probably going to make it out. But you still have to admit they're in the battle now. And I think that's kind of where United are, where with Tottenham sitting above them, them having two games at hand level on points, you have to believe that United are going to go three, maybe four Mm -hmm. points clear of Tottenham. And with Tottenham's consistency this year in the state that they're in right now, you have to believe that United are going to finish above them. But right now, you can't say that United aren't in a top four battle because they're not sitting in the top four right now. So they do have to put in some performances, again, without Casemiro. And I think it's really important that United find goals from players other than Marcus Rashford because Rashford's form simply has not been sustainable. There's no player on earth who's going to be able to keep up that sort of goal-scoring form that Rashford's had so far this season. And it's already died down a bit. And with Anthony and Wakehorse alongside him in attack, it's really not looking like there's many other sources of goals for United right now. And if Rashford's not putting balls in the net, then who is? <laughs> Even Casemiro yeah, was yeah, I, scoring a yeah. lot when he was <laughs> when he was on the field for United. And obviously, you know, he's not playing right now. So that is a bit of a worrying sign for United that they're not getting those goals from other players. But yeah, I don't think they have to worry too much, but certainly have to, you know, get that consistency back because I don't think they've scored in three games. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's if Rashford's not scoring now, you're relying on Veghorst as, uh, you know, your striker should always be your main goal scorer unless you're mo- like Mo Salah. Like mm-hmm. your, your striker should, is normally typically 99% of the time your main goal scorer. And when that guy is about Veghorst and he's just not in the least bit of scoring form. And now you're relying on Rashford who has, you know, who's cooling off of his very, very hot couple of months. Anthony has, hasn't had it this year. Like, is it going to be Bruno that steps up? Like they don't even have that great ball possession right now. Cause they lost one of their, you know, one of their number one ball winners in Casemiro. Like and now it's Sabitzer and McTominay. Right. I, I, I don't, this team, this, this like, synergy right now this these guys in the field just don't have it uh obviously the number nine is a touchy subject right now for united that's probably going to be their number one priority this summer um i'm surprised that they decided to band-aid it without vacors in january and it's probably costing them right about now yeah. but it's it, it they definitely need casemiro back because that starts a nice domino effect where they can like it displaces um Obviously, they lost Erickson too, who who's a big, who had like seven assists this year, like sneakily. Um, but yeah, it's it, that getting Casemiro back starts this like domino effect for United. They get their confidence back. Um, they can dis- it displaces McTominay, who for some reason is on good goal scoring form. But like, uh, yeah, it displaces McTominay, takes pressure off the defense, which is playing very poorly right now. I know Veron got a couple of jeers on Twitter in the, over for the la- for his performance yeah. um, <clears throat> on Sunday. But yeah, it's. I, it's it it creates this like domino effect a little bit, um, where I think they'll recover once they get Casemiro back, just from like a mentality standpoint, because they know that he means so much to the team. 
Uh, but right now, I think they need to find a way to get the ball of the line. And Eric Ten Hag, being the mentality guy he is, I think he can get it done. But right now, it's just uh, just a bit of poor form. And we knew it was going to happen at some point. Yeah. Moving on to our final game of the match week. Everton won. Tottenham won. Starting off in the 58th minute, our first bit of action was Decore getting sent off for a slap, slap, push, punch, hit. You be the the decider of what the exact method of attack was for Decore here. But uh, on Harry Kane, Harry Kane makes a bit of a meal of it. But nonetheless, it was probably enough to get sent off either. Yeah, it was definitely a red. And listen, I'll be the first to admit that when I first saw it, it looked... I think it has to be a red regardless. Of course, when I first saw it, I thought, come on, like Kane's gone down really easy there. But yeah. I did see another angle of it and another photo of it, and Kane genuinely does have his like entire face like scratched. It was more of like a claw, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a bad yeah. challenge. <laughs> Kane rightfully had a justified reaction. Yeah. Not many times I'll say that, but, you know, I'll admit it here. Justified reaction, a justified red for Decore. <laughs> so, Everton go down to Tanit at home in the 68th. Michael Keane uh, swings his leg at, at, to try to clear the ball, but Romero just nicks it off him first. He catches Romero on the follow-through. Romero goes down. Relatively clear-cut penalty here. This is, I think we see this penalty so often nowadays that the defenders just think they have an easy clearance. Yeah. And then I think Jesus has done it like mm-hmm. twice. <laughs> like They just swing in, take the ball off of him, and then are, take the brunt of the, of the follow-through, which wasn't a tackle. It was really just a kick of the ball. And the fact that they didn't see the guy come from behind them and tackle him and they get the leg first, it's a clear-cut penalty. And it's it's unintentional, but it is a clear-cut yeah. penalty. And it's just it's just very unfortunate. But it is a penalty. And Harry Kane makes absolutely no mistake in the 68th minute to put Tottenham up one nothing, and up a man as well. Nice rebound of play from Everton. Spurs go into a little bit of a shell. Even though they don't have Conte, they still uh, shell up a little bit. But in the 88th minute, just after Keane releases the ball, Lucas comes in with a very malicious late tackle, studs up, completely squares up Keane's ankle, sees red, and now it's 10 versus 10 with two plus stoppage time to go. This one seems pretty clear-cut too, Ethan. Yeah, yeah, definitely a red. His foot isn't very high, but his studs are certainly up, and he's definitely come in with enough force to warrant a red card. and. You could see that Lucas really didn't have many complaints. He just kind of turned around and yeah, knew yeah. that he's made a big mistake there. So, yeah, clear-cut red as well. It, it, yeah, it, the full body weight mm-hmm. on the ankle. Yeah. Like, it's just a very dangerous challenge. Um, but that makes it 10 versus 10 with two-plus stoppage time to go. And Michael Keane recovers very nicely from his <laughs> from his drawn red card. And when I, if you saw this, you know goal notification on your phone you're like okay they go down to 10 men Everton push get a corner kick Michael Keane scores a corner kick nah not quite (laughs) quite the opposite actually um Michael Keane takes the space that the Spurs afford him in the midfield and releases an unstoppable strike from 28 yards I don't think Lloris even no he didn't I think he just watched it fly into the side. You gotta just hold the L after that strike from Michael Gaines. <laughs> uh, Goodison erupts. 1-1 is the way that game would finish. Spurs drop points again. 
And with a lot, I think the the, spur, the Southampton one was pretty late too. No. Yeah, yeah, it was like ninety second, ninety third minute penalty. <laughs> yeah, uh, they dropped points again. It's it's getting towards that time of the year when nobody wants that <laughs> that uh <laughs> that last without fail every year. <laughs> <laughs> um, because not only do United drop points to Newcastle, who moved into third, but now Spurs go ahead and drop points. Uh, yeah, this one was. You know, you could take Conte out of the team, but you t- can't take the team out of Conte, I guess you could say, um, because this one was very reminiscent of the performances we've seen under their former manager. I feel like I've said this quote a lot this season, but this was one of the most quintessentially Spursy performances imaginable <laughs> during one of the most Spursy weeks in the history of Spurs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this club is really just in a chaotic state right now. Antonio Conte's gone. Their uh, director of football. You know, blaze of fire, by the way. Yeah. He he wasn't just like bad performance sacked. Mm -hmm. It was bad performance. Takes everybody out with him in like a complete cipher (laughs) during a uh, (laughs) a media day and then gets sacked. And director of football, Fabio Patrici, has left his role because he's being, um, because right now he's waiting on an appeal towards FIFA because he's being banned for like three years. I'm not entirely sure for what exactly, but uh, I also heard that I'm pretty sure the uh, women's team also fired their manager, which has nothing to do with this, but again, just Spurs. <laughs> just might, might as, as well, well just throw it in there. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, what, what more can you say? It's just, it was a pretty okay performance from Spurs. Um, Everton played really well. I think they deserve a lot of credit because for this type of matchup, a very uninspiring Spurs team playing against a defensive-minded, you know, Dyche Everton team, you'd think that this would pretty much be a snooze fest, but this game was very, very eventful, not just because of the red cards, but it was just a very open end-to-end game for a lot of it, especially in the first half, and you'd think that most of the end-to-end action would happen when it was, you know, 10v10 or 11v10, but... This was a very entertaining first half. Both teams were very willing to go forward. Uh, a lot of semi-chances coming towards either end. So this is actually a pretty exciting game. Uh, Michael Keane, I mean, he was involved in pretty much every game-changing play that happened. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, his goal just that shades of company versus Leicester in 2019, where I'm sure his <laughs> teammates were screaming, don't shoot. Uh, but yeah, um, like you said, the Everton crowd erupts. They were absolutely electric this game, all game from start to finish. They were really, really loud. And that's the type of atmosphere you need in a relegation battle. Everton have won 10 of a possible 15 points at home under Sean Dyche, which is a very, very impressive return. And hey, if you don't win a single game away, but you are winning that those kinds of points, on average, you know, yeah. two out of a possible three, you know, every game. That that will definitely keep you up. So, Sean Dyche definitely has a system and a formula that can keep this Everton side up. And right now, of course, places in the table don't really matter too much. But they are sitting 15th. They're one point above relegation, but they do have a game at hand. But right now, with the way Everton are looking, I... I like their chances. If they can just keep their form and just stay consistent with their results, 
again, you just have to not be the worst three. You don't have to be great. <laughs> so yeah. there are definitely teams, again, like we mentioned, Leicester, um, teams that you wouldn't expect to be underperforming like this, who are performing you know, worse than teams like Everton. So mm-hmm. obviously Everton are nowhere near safe, but the Everton faithful have to be feeling a bit more hopeful that Sean Dyche will be the man to keep this team up. Yeah, I mean, this is this was a like you know grade A plus move from Everton to get Sean Dyche for a relegation battle because if there was any manager, uh, employed or unemployed, I would want to dig them out of this. It would probably be Sean Dyche, and they although they there's some other teams that have a game in hand on them. Uh, they're sitting right now above. Uh, Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth by 10 on goal differential, so they kind of have that half point there. Um, I think they'll comfortably survive. Will they sit 14th? Maybe, but they're probably going to sit, you know, 16th, 17th. It's, they do have enough quality in their team, and they certainly have the manager to get it done. And there are some other teams here that I really can't say that about. Bournemouth, Leeds, Forest to some extent, certainly Southampton, who are sitting bottom. Um, so I think not only that, but with the the teams that they're kind of currently in a relegation battle with, I think I definitely would have Everton tipped to survive. Um, with that, we will finish out with some scores from around the grounds this week, starting off with Bournemouth 2, full of 1. Speaking of the team that I just said didn't have enough uh, moxie to get by, uh, they get it done against Fulham, who has been very good this season. Tavernier in the uh, in the fiftieth and Solanke in the seventy ninth to secure the comeback win over Fulham. Uh, this seven shots on target for this team is very very good. Um, clearly, they it sparked something because Fulham are have been very good this season, uh, and. I think a lot of Bournemouth fans would have been pessimistic about this game, but three points at home, it's certainly a step in the right direction for a team trying to survive. Uh, Nottingham Forest won, Wolves won, points are shared. Johnson, the 38th, Potence in the 83rd. Wolves with 73% possession in this game, but Nottingham Forest with seven shots on target. Kind of the, the stats can tell you all you need to know about this game. It was Wolves applying pressure, Nottingham Forest on the counterattack, neither of them able to separate, uh, and it finishes 1-1 on the day. Crystal Palace 2, Leicester City 1, first game for Crystal Palace without Vieira? First game. game. <laughs> and first, first game. win yes, of the year. <laughs> they certainly looked, yeah, they certainly looked like a changed team a little bit. They, they were much more, uh, <clears throat> I mean, 31 shots for, for Crystal Palace in this game. Let me say that again. 31 shots for Crystal Palace in this game. Although it took an, an own goal and a 94th minute winner to get all three points. 31 shots versus three for Leicester. Uh, this one this one was also the nail in the coffin for uh, Brendan Rodgers. So it was clear that Leicester City did not have their stuff on the day. And Crystal Palace kind of enforced their will on this game. Which is something that they have not done in quite a long time. So a little bit of a new manager bounce there for Crystal Palace. They get all three at home. Arsenal four leads one. Arsenal hold serve against Manchester City's win on Saturday morning. Jesus at the double. His first goals since returning from 
or yes, first goal since returning from uh from injury. Ben White, mm-hmm. nice Benny Blanco goal. Love a Benny Blanco goal. And then Granit Xhaka, the goal scoring machine he is in the eighty fourth. To round out the four goals, another comfortable win for Arsenal at home. Their next run-in gets a little bit sketchy. You got Anfield at the weekend, which is going to be nothing but a 2-0 two, <laughs> win for Liverpool. We all know that. Uh, and then West Ham, Southampton, two relegation-threatened teams. But then you got City, Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton after that, which gets a little testy and for a young team could get a little bit ugly. But cover that a little bit down the road. Uh, Brighton 3, Brentford 3, a six-goal thriller that saw the points shared. And Alexis McAllister, 90th-minute penalty, was the equalizer, which ended up sharing the points. But Brighton 33 shots and 15 on target, 73% possession. This was a bit one-sided uh, without the scoreline. Brentford taking advantage of their chances more than Brighton did. But this was... A pretty exciting game, back and forth a lot. Um, so, yeah, I I mean, this is two teams that kind of sat sat in between that. Uh, they're in like the the not the no man's land, but in the uh like the the launch pad area where they're like they're not top six, and they're not in the twenty seven thousand team yeah. relegation battle, and they're kind of right in that pocket, the Brighton Brentford Fulham uh Villa <laughs> pocket. Um, so these games are often awfully entertaining, and certainly this yeah. one was. <laughs> Um, 33 shots. Wow. 33 shots for Brighton and 31 shots for Palace. That does not happen very often in the same match week. Um, Chelsea nil, Aston Villa two. This one maybe deserved a little bit of coverage this week in, in our, in our like yeah. highlighted coverage. But I think maybe the Everton one was a little more exciting with the Michael Keane goal, but this one was the nail on the coffin for Graham Potter. As we said before, Chelsea really undeserving of zero points on the day but again it's really been their just like slip-ups and lack of cohesion that has caused them to drop points so often in the last couple months and this certainly was another example of that um two shots on target for villa two goals for villa really not much more you can say the xg was pretty one-sided in favor of chelsea nonetheless they drop points at home and now they have a new manager West Ham won, Southampton nil, big big game in the title race, and not the title race, certainly not the title race, uh, the relegation battle. Uh, Southampton dropped deeper into last place as West Ham get a vital three points. Let's check in on the bottom six right now. Southampton sit dead bottom with everybody else having a game in hand. So they've played one more game than Leicester, Leeds, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, who are all sitting above them. And they're two points behind their closest, who's Leicester. So they, right now, are going to have a large uphill battle to climb if they want to get out of this relegation zone. Uh, West Ham, on the other hand, sitting with a game at hand on the 28 that most of these teams have. Two, actually, on Everton that are behind them and two on Wolves who are in front of them. They've climbed out of it a little bit. And if they continue to get... if If... Let's say they won their two games in hand, which is a huge if. They would actually hop into 12th above Crystal Palace, who uh, have to play two more than them. So when at one point we were, we said that Moyes might be dragging them down into the championship, now they're right back up, such as this crazy relegation battle that we've had this season. And lastly, <laughs> that was it. That yeah. was the lastly. 
I thought there was one more, but that was it. Uh, that rounds out our Match Week 29 coverage. We will get into some Match Week 30 coverage, starting off with the goal picks. If you are unfamiliar with the goal picks competition, it is another season-long competition between me and Ethan, where every week we look ahead to the upcoming Match Week games, and we try to pick three players that we think are going to score this Match Week. But the catch is that the other person can block three players from us using them. So if I say three players I want to score, Ethan in his back pocket has three blocks. If any of those blocks are players that I picked, he gets to choose that player for me instead of the player that I wanted. Give us the update. Yeah, so we did our goal picks off screen because the uh, the last podcast ran a little bit long. The, uh, the uh, bracket podcast for the uh, best Premier League 11s of all time. Uh, so our off-screen picks, or out of our off-screen picks, each of us got a goal. Mine was courtesy of Brennan Johnson scoring against Wolves, and Brands was courtesy of Ollie Watkins' goal against Chelsea. So level on the week, but I'm currently seven goals clear with 27 goals towards against Brands 20. So still an uphill battle for Brayden. But with 10 weeks left, it's possible he could mount a comeback. One week could change yeah. any of that. I could, get, I could get five goals in a match week. Like, it's, it's possible. It is possible. Um, Holland throws nine goal hauls in all the time. Like, I could, I could take the lead. Uh, with that, let's get into some picks. You got some for me? I do indeed. And I feel more confident this week than ever that you are not getting a single one of these. But <laughs> I'll get into them. Go for it. Uh, my first one is Dominic Solanke. <laughs> uh, with this... I'm just going to say, you can fucking have him. <laughs> <laughs> it's very possible you would have given me Solanke had, I, had you blocked <laughs> one of my players. But I've gone for him anyway. Uh, Bournemouth have a double game week uh, coming up because they play midweek. And on the weekend, they play Brighton uh, today. And they play Leicester at the weekend uh Leicester a team that's been leaking a lot of goals maybe they'll play better with the new manager bounce but either way Bournemouth have been looking better recent weeks three goals or three wins in their last six games I should say a pretty decent return for a Bournemouth team that we weren't really expecting much of this season and uh Slanky grabbed one this weekend and I think he'll get one more at least from these two games so he's my first pick my second one is Danny Welbeck. He also scored this weekend, and he is another player who plays twice this week. Like I said, Brighton play Bournemouth midweek, and Brighton play Spurs this weekend. Spurs been certainly leaking some goals, so Welbeck is my second. And with my third pick, I have Kai Havertz. Uh, he's a player that hasn't scored often for Chelsea this season, but is somehow still their top scorer he's got <laughs> liverpool midweek and wolves at the weekend i knew you wouldn't pick him and he's got two games so why not maybe with a new manager or at least an interim he'll grab himself a couple so if you've gotten any of those i will be absolutely flabbergasted <laughs> i have not i have not gotten any of them shockingly <laughs> enough i blocked watkins kane and tony so this week, I have gone for three players that I it's a little bit of a gamble on them. Not not like crazy, you know, <clears throat> Kane Holland ones, but 
little bit of a gamble. Starting off with Ollie Watkins, who is one of the hotter goal scorers in the league right now. I think there's a very, very good chance you may have locked him. He also has two matches this week. No, he does not. He's only he only has one. Um, but he is very hot and he's very attractive as well. But mostly in the football sense, <laughs> he is very hot. Um, so. Being the attractive goal scorer he is at the moment, I am going to take Ollie Watkins to score this weekend. All right, then. <laughs> uh, secondly, I have Rashford, a slightly less attractive goal scorer that is a little bit off of four. I think he's still being fairly attractive. <laughs> but I think we're going I mean, off he's of not Ollie Watkins. <laughs> we're getting on some uh, weird tangents but, here. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, he's hasn't had the form recently. That being said. I think he has a very good uh, knack for goal, and I think he is due, as they say in American baseball. He's due. Shout out opening day. <laughs> and lastly, I have Zhao Felix, because I think that maybe this attack has been handcuffs off now that uh, Grand Potter's gone. Maybe a new little new manager bounce. I think they might generate a little more chances, a little more heart going into the next game. I got Zhao Felix. Who can I have? Yeah, I didn't think about Yaf. Is Havertz even starring up front now? Or is Felix starring on the uh, wing? He, I think they both start. Yeah, yeah, I think Felix starts on the wing. Um, yeah, unfortunately for you, um, well, you can have Yao Felix, but for the third time this season, you've oh been dirty doubled. <laughs> I got Watkins and Rashford. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Rashford, yeah. really? No, yeah, I figured okay. you'd think that you could sneak him by wow. me because he hasn't scored in a couple weeks. And Watkins <laughs> hasn't scoring every week, and I just didn't want you to have him. Well done. <laughs> well done no Watkins I was like I'm pretty sure he's gonna yeah. pick him but like I really want yeah. him so yeah I, I didn't think you'd pick Rashford I thought you would get Watkins which is really like like uh, why would yeah. I pick him if I thought you were gonna take him but like it's still I don't know I, I'll take Felix though this is not good for my comeback yeah but luckily for you you can have Stuart Armstrong and you can also <sighs> I don't even know if he starts anymore I know we love to take Stuart Armstrong, but nah, honestly, because he hasn't scored at all, start. I think they're not playing. <laughs> all right, okay. if he's starting, we'll take Then but... who else can you have? Uh... Who's starting up front for West Ham? Skamaka? Uh, actually, no. West Ham have been all right recently. Antonio. Um... <laughs> Still waiting for our first uh, blocked goal. Like, player that is given because of a block who then scores. No, I think, I think oh, now's he gave me Solanke earlier in the season and he scored. I, I, I think I would remember I'm that. I'm pretty sure it happened, did happen. But I don't know. Um, I'll give you a player off camera because it's taking too long. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, With that, we'll get into match week 29 predictions? Yeah. 30 predictions. Match week 30 predictions. 29 was last week. I don't, the yeah. match weeks are a little mm, like sketch. They, the, the Premier League does not communicate well what's what match one match week plus like there's like, there's like rescheduled yeah. games so um either way we got predictions for the upcoming week starting off with chelsea hosting liverpool a rematch of the original <laughs> battle of mid what do you got um this first of all this may be one of the most difficult games we'll ever have to predict because both of these teams are just so volatile liverpool you never know what you're gonna get out of them yeah. any given week Chelsea, I feel like you could skew towards them being shit because they kind of are. But with a new manager or interim, you never know if they're going to have a new manager bounce. 
So I don't really know what's going to happen. I'm going to say that the unpredictability cancels out and I'm just going to pick this result based off of quality. I think Liverpool just in general have a more quality side. I'm going to pick Chelsea 1, Liverpool 2. 2-1, Chelsea. Okay, I am going to go with... Up 2-1, Liverpool. I, I Oh, 2-1, Liverpool. 2-1, Liverpool. My apologies. Liverpool. Okay. So I'm going to go with something of a new manager bounce for Chelsea. I think that their talent has been caged up a little bit. Uh, maybe it doesn't like snap into this like chemistry that they're looking for. It shouldn't because it's very difficult in football to just hit that right away from a new manager. But they will be playing with some fire. And those... And this game is at Sanford Bridge. Uh, uh, yeah, it's at Sanford Bridge. So those fans, now that they've been calling for Grand Potter's head for two months, now that they're the, it's actually happened, they will come to the stadium with energy and hope and belief. Even sitting 11th, they will come with energy. And uh, they still concede a lot. Um, and Liverpool have talent up front. I think maybe Nunez gets on the score sheet. Uh, Chelsea, it's going to be... Chelsea dominating possession, 65, 35, something like that. I'm going to go 2 2. All right. And finally, uh, another very, very difficult game to predict Liverpool hosting Arsenal at Anfield. An unstoppable force of Arsenal meets an unmovable object. Arsenal playing at Anfield. <laughs> what happens? So I'm going to say Liverpool 2, Arsenal 2. I'm not quite ready to predict an Arsenal win in Anfield. Uh, maybe I'm just using pessimism as a defense mechanism. But these are the types of games that Liverpool just get up for. It just seems like this season, anytime they're going against a non-Big Six side, they kind of just, just waltz their way through and just see what happens. But for the Big Six games at Anfield, they usually seem to turn up. Uh, based on form, United were one of the best teams in Europe when they came to Anfield, and Liverpool just absolutely demolished them. So I really yep. don't know what Arsenal are in for this weekend. But nonetheless, Arsenal do have more quality than United, at least this season. And Arsenal have been on fantastic form. Having Jesus back is going to be such a big help for them. This game really could go either way. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool win. wouldn't really be surprised with an Arsenal win either. So I'm going to go right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is like testing my bias right yeah. now. Cuz like I'm just in the soccer universe, there's no way Arsenal win this game. <laughs> that like there's just no way that this team, like they know at like and every year after every single time they go to Anfield and get their ass kicked, it the next year it like they know that they just go to Anfield and get their ass kicked, so it, there's like more like anxiousness, and it just keeps building up and snowballing, especially for this young team. Like it does not matter; like, they could be playing Southampton at Anfield, like neutral site, and still <laughs> like it. Just like it's the thing; it's just something about this aura of going to Anfield that this team simply can't deal with. And like you said, it doesn't matter where Liverpool are in their season, who they just played, who they just lost to, what kind of form they just put in. When they get big six teams at Anfield, it's just a different looking team. That being said, Arsenal are the best team in the league, and they are there on really good form, but they're still going to lose. 
Two nothing Liverpool. I'm pessi- I'm pessimistic. Okay. Fair enough. I'm sorry. Uh, we will round out the podcast with a closing segment of Braden versus Twitter. You may have remembered Ethan versus Twitter, but get ready for the sequel, Braden versus Twitter. If you're unfamiliar with the versus Twitter series, this week has been very big on Twitter because not one but two managers have been fired, and that what well, that second manager is the team that's most active on Twitter, yeah. um, <laughs> especially recently, uh, trying to get their manager fired via social media. Um, and now that it's happened, it has been an influx of twitter activity so ethan has searched the interwebs for some fan generated tweets and also combined them with tweets that he came up with to made to make it look like a angry chelsea fan or maybe happy chelsea fan wrote them (laughs) so he's gonna read some tweets for me and i'm gonna have to kind of guess which whether he wrote it or it was a fan on twitter maybe not chelsea fan but just any fan on twitter um what do you got from reason all right starting this one off couldn't give a shite about the 600 million pounds worth of spending bully had no plan with these signings feel sorry for potter because no manager on earth could have made this team perform in just seven months <clears throat> i think i wrote that actually <laughs> I think I think that I think that's what I something I would write. Uh, I since since that's literally exactly what I said when it happened. I'm gonna say this is real. This is fake. I made this one oh. up. Yeah. <laughs> um, to a certain extent, I like kind of agree with it, but not like yeah. not fully. Like yes, like it's not easy getting these signings to jail, but like come mm. on, eleventh, like. <laughs> Yeah, you should yeah, at least yeah, be pushing for like at least be like pushing for top four like you don't have to be fantastic yeah. but anyway all right so over one to start off next tweet i speak for all tottenham fans when i say grandfather is the best manager in the world and spurs should appoint him <laughs> oh this is satire like this <laughs> this surely this is satire whether you wrote it or somebody on deep on the interwebs wrote it, this has got to be satire. Nobody types this out, double checks it, and is like, the lads are going to love this one. I think I speak for all Spurs fans. This is real. It is real, yes. Let's go. <laughs> At Estante Do Casal said this one. Uh, and we can only hope that it is, in fact, satire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one for two for Brayden. Third tweet. Truly pathetic from Kane, acting like he'd been shot in the head. Have some pride for fuck's sake. Yeah, this is this is a casual, like, fucking United Trey tweet. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I might even call my shot with United Trey. <laughs> this is real. It is real. It was not United Trey. But, okay. uh, <laughs> no, you're right. I could definitely see him uh, tweeting that one, so... Yep, this was real. Two or three for Brayden. On to tweet number four. All these people saying that nobody wants the Tottenham job have no idea how modern has have no idea how modern day managers think. It's a top club in a rough patch, and any manager with any sort of ambition would be gunning for the opportunity to make them a European powerhouse. If this is fake, you you fucking 
This is a poetic job. <laughs> this is a long one. You almost used the character limit on this one. Um, shit. <clears throat> no, that's that's like I think that's fucking real. Like that's that's like a Tottenham fan trying to lie to themselves about the state of their <laughs> football club and just like getting it out on like guys, I don't know why anyone's saying shit about we made the fuck we made the Champions League final on a fluke. Like, of course, of course we're a power. Yeah, that's real. That's real. This one's fake. Yeah. Oh, well done. I wrote this one out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this this why like you know went to like the 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 thor- yeah, put your I back can't use English, that. but thesaurus dot com. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now this was goes to Chat GPT. Poetry. Yeah, <laughs> write a <laughs> thing. Write a delusional Tottenham, Tottenham tweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, all right. So you're five hundred. This is the last tweet. So this will be the one whether to determine if you stay above five hundred or go below. So final tweet. Spurs without Harry Kane do not finish in the top half, and it's not even debatable. If he leaves, then you might as well boot Spurs from the big six. Oof. That's a hot take. Because if they, if they lose Kane this summer and replace mm-hmm. him with, like, some Spursy player, like, fucking, like... Well, they do have Richarlison, like, so I don't know if they go yeah, out and yeah, yeah, get any- but either way, Richarlison's yeah. not filling half of one Harry Kane boot. No. They, they'd go get, like, Islam Slomani or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, fake. This one was fake. Yeah, you got this hey! one. You got me. Yeah. Um, again, I somewhat agree with this. Maybe, maybe they do finish <laughs> in top half, but Spurs without Kane is... A very scary idea for uh, Spurs fans, and it's something that they may have to grapple with very soon. Because after this season, I don't know how much longer Kane stays. Yeah, uh, I mean, we keep saying that, but he keeps demanding a new contract. So uh, I don't know. Maybe he's just like being held at gunpoint by Steve Levy. I don't know. Or I don't know. Steve Levy. I said that. Yeah, it's not Steve. It's Daniel Levy. (laughs) Second week in a row, he says Steve Levy. (laughs) I think Steve Levy should join the board because he he'd do a very good job. Anyway. That will round it out for this week's podcast. Match week 30 coming up next week. Some nice tasty midweek fixtures and followed by a full tasty slate come next weekend. But with that, we will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.